When I was in seminary or starting seminary, a lot of my corporate friends would call and ask me for advice because they figured I had the inside track on how to be a Christian because I was studying it in seminary. So one day I get a call from a friend of mine complaining about this guy who was in her sales district. He was a real pain. He made, she was blonde, he made dumb blonde jokes when he would see her. He was late to meetings and then he would make the whole group stop and fill him in. And every time the group was trying to come to consensus about something, he would be the only one disagreeing and not really have any good reasons why. And she was really struggling with him. And so me, being in seminary, said, well, you know, in our baptismal covenant, we seek to see Christ in all people and to love them. And I said to her, think of everyone as Jesus. Make this your mantra, that anytime you see someone, everyone is Jesus. So wasn't much of a response on the other end of the line, and I've probably heard her saying in my head, easy for you to say, and so things kind of continued down this road, and I'd hear for her, and she finally quit complaining about him to me because all I would say is, everyone is Jesus, everyone is Jesus. And then, as the Spirit would have it, he got transferred into my district. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, I had a firsthand knowledge of what this guy was all about, and it was brutal. He pushed every button. It's like if you went out of the house and you knew you had like maybe a spot on your clothing and you think, oh, no one will notice it. I plan to wear this outfit. I'm going to wear this outfit. Sorry, guys, but talk to the women. They'll explain this to you. And he would see the spot and make sure that everybody saw it. Oh, wow, what happened? You got a big spot there. You know, and then you'd be in a new group of people and he would point it out. I mean, this guy was just pushing every button I had. And of course, I got the call from my friend and go, everyone is Jesus. <laughs> everyone is Jesus. <laughs> and now I'm like, everyone is Jesus. Everyone is Jesus. <laughs> and you realize that, you know, the message that we have, that we heard in Galatians, that the law is summed up in one sentence, love your neighbor as yourself, it just sounds so wonderful, and you could see it on bumper stickers or put it, embroider it and put it in your house, but how difficult is that to love your neighbor as yourself? And that is not difficult as loving your enemy, but that's what this is all about. And today we hear a gospel where it sounds pretty harsh. And Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. Now what happens in Jerusalem is he's crucified. He's tortured and crucified because the authorities could not stand this message that we love others like we love ourselves. No hierarchy, no exceptions, that everybody is a beloved child of God, made in the image of God. So they crucified Jesus, and he's setting his face toward Jerusalem, heading in that direction. 
and he chooses not to go the normal way to Jerusalem, which most of the Jews did, which was to go around the land of the Samaritans, who didn't like the Jews, he goes straight through, and he's rejected by people. This is why I can worship Jesus, because he understands what it's like to be rejected and betrayed and suffering. He understands all of that, but yet he sets his face for Jerusalem, and he perseveres through the hardship. And then the disciples, they're outraged that Jesus has been rejected, and they want to call down fire from heaven, like we heard about in Kings. Call down the fire from heaven, destroy these people. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way. Everyone is Jesus, including the people who reject Jesus, including the people who betray Jesus, including the people who crucify Jesus. Everyone is Jesus. And then we hear about the disciples that he meets along the way. And the first one he meets wants to follow him. And Jesus says, you know what? You're going to be homeless if you follow me because I have no place to lay my head. Even the animals have it better than me. And today I think that is true for us. I think today for Christians we are kind of walking through the land of the Samaritans because we're in a world where Christianity is not the norm slowly decreasing that this message which is a profound message but yet so difficult to live is is being lost I'm going to a wedding on july 10th where the bride and groom who are really good friends of ours they're in their early 30s asked me to be the minister of their wedding but it's in Canada, and I was going through all these gyrations, and I had a discussion with the bride and groom about, well, we need to have some marriage counseling. Here's the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer Service. And, and they're looking at me like, well, we don't believe in God. Can you leave God out of the wedding ceremony? And I said, no. <laughs> Why would you ask a minister? So they're going to have a justice of the peace, but what it, what it told me is that we're walking through a land that rejects this message right now. And it's so important for those of us who embrace the message to incarnate the message. So we may be homeless, but we have to incarnate the message. And then the next thing he says, which is incredibly harsh, it's like, well, I'll follow you, Jesus, but I need to go home and bury my father. And he says, let the dead bury the dead. It's like, whoa, if that doesn't get all of us where we live. But he's insistent, let the dead bury the dead, follow me, because what he's doing as he goes to Jerusalem is to show us that death is not the end. That he's going to show us that this love, this, this message that comes through Jesus Christ is not the end, and that it's triumphant over death. So don't bother burying the dead, because they'll be raised again. And then Jesus tells the person who wants to go home to say goodbye to his family, no, no, you must come immediately. It's a sense of urgency. It's a call to a deeper way of learning and expressing our faith. I'm a jack of all trades. I, like to, I learn quickly. I get to a point where I'm semi-competent in something, and that's kind of it. So I've decided to go deeper playing my guitar. I've been playing since sixth grade. 
but I've only managed to learn the chords in the first position, and there's a lot of things I can't do. So I'm actually taking lessons from Fred Vine and um, Janice's brother, and I'm having a real hard time. And he, he wants me to bar this chord, and I couldn't do it, and I went to him, I said, I just can't do it. He goes, I said, I don't know what to do. He goes, how badly do you want it? I go, I really want to do it. He goes, well, then you kind of need to practice. It's hard work. So I'm practicing crazy because I want to get to the next level. Well, the thing about our faith and our religion is we're being called to a deeper level. But unlike the guitar, it doesn't really require the work from us. What it requires is a surrendering and an opening up to God. Because some of the most difficult things we need to do to incarnate this Christian faith of loving others as, as we love ourselves and loving our enemies can only come from God and saying yes to God. I have an example of somebody who's been able to do it. Her name is, is Corey Ten Boom. Have any of you heard of Corey Ten Boom? She's Dutch and she She's a Christian, devout Christian, who hid the Jews during World War II. Came from an incredible family. And they hid Jews in what they called the angel crib in their house. They built a space. But eventually, she and her sister are taken off to the concentration camps. And she was managed to smuggle in a Bible. There's a movie on this called The Hiding Place. It's very, it's very moving. So she manages to keep herself sane and together through her entire time in the concentration camp by reading the Bible, remaining faithful to God, who remains faithful to her, and she is the light of Christ in the midst of all this incredible suffering. So when she gets out, she brings this message around the world, and she's talking about her experience and her faith and how she managed to stay true to the love of Christ in the midst of all of this painful suffering until she gets to this one church. And she says here, but the place where the hunger for Christ was greatest was Germany. Germany was a land in ruin, cities of ashes and rubbles, but more terrifying still, minds and hearts of ashes. Just across the border was to feel the great weight that hung over the land. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS guard, who had stood at the shower room door in the processing center at the concentration camp. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. Suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, my sister's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that as you say, Jesus has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Lord Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. 
Give your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my head, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while, my heart sp- while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on Jesus. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, Jesus gives, along with the command, the love itself.